With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanny. Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle. Once again, it is the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond to powerful hours full. And today we deliver once again. Mark Pack are going to be joining the program in just a few minutes. Of course, many of you know Mark from his time up in Charlotte on WFNZ to his time uh, on Sirius XM with a couple of programs over there uh, off campus with Mark Packer. Of course, Packer and Durham now on the ACC network. And uh, it's a lot of fun when we get a chance to catch up with him, a former Clemson Tiger golfer as well. He's coming on the program here in just a minute as we've delivered to you over the past few days, right out of the gates, hour number two, Tim Beret will join the show. But without further ado, we send it out to the guest line as Mark Packer joins the program. Mark, under strange circumstances, but welcome in. Uh, yeah, the social distancing thing, I got to tell you, I know we're at, what, uh, four weeks, five weeks into this thing. But, um, you know, I've been doing this for about 10 years. So, uh, you know, the commute's always been down the steps to do a radio show or the television show. And uh, but it is bizarro. I mean, there's no question about it. We have to be smart. We got to stay safe. Uh, listen to the authorities, and uh, hopefully, we can flatten this curve and kind of get back to whatever normalcy is uh, as soon as possible. But uh, it has been bizarre, needless to say. And for all of us in the uh, sports talk world, uh, it is amazing when all of a sudden you take away all the toys and go tag your it. Now, what are you going to go talk about? But you know, it gives you a reason to be creative and come up with some goofy ideas and all that kind of stuff. But eventually we'll get through this, and uh, hopefully we'll be better than ever before. Yeah, and I think in some respects, too, it gives us a minute to decompress, slow down, think about some of the great things that have happened in sports in the past. And that's kind of where I came up with the idea for this series, looking back on you know your history and kind of how you ended up being where you are today. So what were the early origins of Mark Packer's memories when it comes to sports? And part of this, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, was sparked by a post you put up on on Twitter of you in the front yard of your house wearing like a, a football uniform. And I thought, you know what? I want to hear what shaped these guys. So give us a little early start for Mark Packer. Uh, well, that picture, and, and I think the one thing I would say, uh, given the fact that everything has slowed down to force, uh, I think it's a blessing in disguise. I'll get to your answer or your question in a minute, but I think uh, before I do that, 
I do think the silver lining in all of this pandemic uh, has been one thing, because I'm doing the, basically the same thing on SiriusXM, and that is we're bringing on great guests to talk about almost everything but sports or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, but the one thing I have found with all of us, and I don't care what part of the country you're in, and, and from a sports perspective is it has given us a great time to sit down and hook up again with whether it be your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your kids, your parents, uh, friends, uh, but more specifically, I think even within your own household, you know, every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner now involves sitting down and looking across from your spouse or your kids, uh, if you have them, uh, and having a conversation where all of a sudden, you know, the phone's not on, the TV's not on, I don't have the radio on. Yeah. Um, you know, all of a sudden the distractions of a normal everyday life have been put on the back burner. And in some respects, it's kind of a throw back to yesteryear before we had all of this stuff with social media and all the different things that you could possibly do during the course of the day. And in some respects, it's been kind of a blessing in disguise. And I know it's awful. Uh, the amount of people have lost their lives with the coronavirus. And, and again, I, eventually we will get through this thing. We'll finally figure out some kind of a vaccine or a way to move forward without people living in fear. And hopefully people aren't living in fear, but I think it's been kind of refreshing uh, in some respects, knowing that you can have three meals a day with your family and uh, keep up on others. And, you know, really do care when you say, you know, normally we well, uh, on a show or uh, in everyday life, you say, how are you doing? And it's just kind of a foregone conclusion. You don't even listen to what the response is. Yeah. But now when you ask that question to somebody, you really are asking that question. Hey, how are you doing? Is there something I can help you with? You know, we're all kind of figuring this thing out as we go along. There's there's no playbook where you pick it up and go, oh, yeah, pandemic, page 43, here's what you're supposed to do. So uh, in some respects, I think all of that has been somewhat helpful. And I think at the end of the day, when we get through this, we'll look back and go, hey, you know what? It wasn't that bad. We figured out a way to get through this thing. And, you know, maybe you learned something about your kids or your wife, or maybe your wife learned something about you that she never knew about. Uh, prior to these uh, crazy uh, worlds and time that we're living in right now through the pandemic. That's the first thing I want to say. Um, and with all that said, now that a lot of folks have a lot more free time, I was going through some old pictures the other day, a box I hadn't seen in God knows forever, and found that picture of me. I must have been, I don't know, seven years old. And uh, I loved Johnny Unitas as a kid, and I had a number 19 jersey. And so Billy and Barb bought me one. And uh, knowing that I grew up in a basketball family, I had the pads over my jersey, which was a cutting-edge thing <laughs> 500 years ago, and a helmet that I could literally spin across my head and then go 360, and I'd still be able to look forward. Uh, and those pictures are funny, man. You look back at that and kind of go, oh, my God, I can't believe that was me or whatever. And I'm sure we all have those kind of photos. I just put on Twitter kind of make fun of me, and uh, people had a good time cutting up on it. But, you know, I do remember growing up, um, we just found things to do. I mean, we didn't have all these things as a kid. And, uh, you know, shoot, you'd go find some some stones and some rocks. I mean, you'd go find a lake and you'd go skipping rocks for two hours and, and think it was the coolest thing you've ever done in your life or grab a fishing pole and go on down and hope you'd finally catch a fish for the first time in your life. And, you know, I remember uh, as a nine-year-old, uh, Billy putting a golf club in my hand for the first time, and it was right. He's right-handed, and he gave me a right-handed club, and so I turned it around and started hitting it the wrong way. And he's like, "No, Mark, you don't know what you're doing here, son. Here's what you're doing." And I was a lefty, so as it turned <laughs> out, the, the famous Wake, the true story, the, the famous Wake Forest golf coach Jesse Haddock uh, is no longer with us, and one of the all-time great coaches. 
uh, with all the national championships from Curtis Strange and Jay Haas and all that stuff. But he was the golf coach at Wake Forest, and he was left-handed. And he heard that I was trying to learn how to play golf at the age of nine, and so he cut down some uh, golf clubs, some of his old sticks, and had them cut down so they would fit me. And so he gave me my first set of clubs. I had like a three iron, a five iron, a seven iron, a nine iron, and a putter. I thought I was somebody. Now, I was a nine-year-old with cut-down left-handed clubs, and Billy and I uh, played in a father-son golf tournament at the age I was nine years old. I hadn't been playing golf for a month. And uh, we were playing terrible. I still remember Billy hitting it all over the place, and I had to chip it out of the woods or whatever. And we were playing at a place called Pinebrook Country Club in Winston-Salem. And uh, the 15th hole is a par three. It's about 170 yards, and uh, where, where they had us, the nine-year-olds, and the juniors, I was probably about 100 yards out. And so I hit a seven-iron, and, again, just trying to get that thing airborne. It's bouncing all over the place. We hit the flag stick and went in the hole. And I had no idea what it was. People were jumping around going crazy. Oh, my God, the little boy had a hole-in-one, and I had <laughs> no idea what it was. Right. And so I was still mad because Billy and I were playing so poorly in the tournament. So I just, you know, jumped in the cart. All right, let's go. And Billy's like, hey, Mark, you just had a hole-in-one. I'm like, yeah, great. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, right? There's the hole, knock it in the hole. <laughs> and uh, so, I, I, you know, I think back to all those times as a kid growing up with sports, whether it be hoops or whatever you found it do. Like I said, whether it be fishing, skipping rocks, uh, hitting golf balls, playing baseball in Little League and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you got a lot of time to reflect, like you said, Lawton, and uh, you know, those are those are simpler times. Needless to say, we didn't really wor- worry about a whole lot of stuff. But it is kind of funny to reminisce and find some of these old pictures that bring back memories you probably haven't had in 20, 30, 40 years, depending how old you are. So, uh, you know, sports has always been part of my world from that perspective, and I guess that's how it got started. Mark Packer with us here on Clemson Sports Talk. You know, my dad played baseball at Walford. Your dad obviously played basketball at, at Wake Forest. And I think it's, it's it's pretty telling, at least from my side of things. My dad never pushed me towards that sport. Was your dad pushing you at any point towards basketball, or was that ever your initial love? No. I mean, you know, I played it. I went to the Wake Forest basketball camps. Um you know, I played it poorly in high school, but I really did love golf. I thought golf was a cool sport because you could go out and it was all on you. You know, it wasn't a matter of, uh, hey, the guy didn't throw me the ball or this guy's not a very good player. I didn't hit the guy with the open pass or whatever. And I always thought that golf was like the ultimate challenge as a kid because it changed every day. I mean, every day you tried it and you thought you had some kind of magical answer and you realized the next day you had no clue where it was going. And so to me, that was like the ultimate puzzle from a sports perspective. And it still is today, even though I've not hit a bad shot in 23 years because I gave it up cold turkey. But I always loved the challenge, and I just always thought that game was kind of like the ultimate chess match when trying to figure out, hey, you know, whatever your weakness was, that sport has a way of finding it and putting you at the ultimate test when you need it the most. And I always loved it, maybe more so than playing baseball or playing basketball or whatever the case may be. But Billy never forced me to do anything. And, you know, we had the luxury of at least having the chance to go out and try a bunch of different things. I think I appreciated that probably more than anything else. But, you know, you'd get your summer job and after school. And, man, once that thing was over with, man, you were off and running, doing whatever it is that made you happy. And, um, again, like I said, simpler times. Uh, you kind of forget how that used to feel until we go through this pandemic and you got all this free time. You kind of go, man, what am I going to do with myself all day? after I got done with what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, Billy never pushed me on that front. The, the, the best thing about 
uh, growing up in sports in our family per se, per se is I had the chance to travel and meet so many incredibly interesting people. And, you know, at the time, you know, Billy's doing uh, you know, events with, you know, Brent Musburger or Gary Bender or Dick Emberg or Al right. McGuire. I mean, the list, I could just go on and on and on with the incredible people that I met in broadcasting, not to mention the players and coaches when I'd go on some of these road trips. And I mean, I never knew at the time that, Hey, one of these days I'm going to end up interviewing these guys, you know, one of those routines, but it was just one of those things. It was just such a cool experience uh, to be able to see how all that worked uh, from not only a communication standpoint, but also just the, the, the people that you meet. And, you know, for every thousand people you meet that are great, yeah, you'd run across one jerk. And that's no different than any other walk of life, whether you're running an insurance business or a pizza parlor or a gas station. But uh, it was a really, really cool uh, growing up uh, from that perspective. And there were different pressures put on me because, oh, you're Billy Packer's kid and all that stuff. But I never worried about that nonsense. For people who made a big deal out of it, that was more of a them problem than a me problem. But uh, just having the luxury to be able to meet those kind of people was really, really cool. I look back at that all the time and smile and really appreciate uh, the opportunities that I was given from that perspective. And, again, try to incorporate them in today and what I'm trying to do for a living. A lot of people may not know, but you, you have a brother, Brant. He works uh, with the Golf Channel at last I, I saw. But right. uh, just in, in, right. in terms of you guys, siblings, competitive, what's the age difference there and, and what were those rivalries like? Uh, you know, Brant was 12 years younger, so we were never in the same social circle, uh, the competitive circle. I mean, he loves golf more than I do. Uh, he still plays it and loves it, loves it, loves it. Obviously, working for the Golf Channel and, you know, traveling the country, producing all the events and tournaments and stuff. Um, but from a competitive standpoint, we, you know, there, the age was such a difference that that never really came into play. I do have a sister who's in between and and Liz um, really wasn't necessarily a sports person, but uh, she did go to the University of North Carolina for one year. And so we go on these, get, get on each other's case. I keep reminding her that Clemson has yet to lose in Chapel Hill since 2019 and who. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I, I poke fun at her all the time and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, from a sibling standpoint, yeah. uh, we were all very different. Uh, still are today. We're all very, very different from a personality standpoint, an interest standpoint. And from a rivalry thing, it really well, that really never existed. Just never, never really happened. So you go back. You're thinking about. You're, you're, let's take us through maybe your high school days. You're obviously a very good golfer. What's the quote unquote recruitment like at that point huh. for golf? Or you know, how did how'd you end up at Clemson? Well, that's kind of a funny story because I grew up uh, in Winston Salem. And I loved NC State as a kid. Loved NC State. And of course, you got to keep in mind uh, during that time, guys like David Thompson, Monty Cow, Tommy Burleson, NC State basketball was bigger than life. Right. Uh, Lou Holtz was the football coach. The Bucky Twins, uh, they were really, really good. Uh, Bo Ryan, God rest his soul, uh, had won the last uh, ACC championship for the Wolfpack in 1979. So the 70s were a great era as a kid growing up if you loved NC State. Uh, so I grew up a big NC State fan, and then all of a sudden it was time, you know, I was a sophomore and a junior in high school. All right, we were going to go to college. And so you start looking around schools, and, of course, I wanted to go take a look at NC State, and I did, and I did not love the campus. I remember going to a visit and going, man, there's too much concrete. And the girl, believe it or not, that I was dating uh, in high school was a big North Carolina fan, and she had a lot of relatives in Greenville and Greenwood, South Carolina. And one week she said, hey, you want to go down to the Clemson 
North Carolina football game. This was 1980. And if you remember back then, if anybody was alive, uh, 1980 was the era of Lawrence Taylor and North Carolina football. That was the last time they won an ACC championship. And I, mean, I knew where Clemson was, but I'd never visited. So we decided to go down for a football game in Death Valley. And again, for a kid that grew up on uh, Wake Forest football in Winston-Salem and, you know, 15,000 people at Grove Stadium, uh, I came rolling into the valley. Uh, we're sitting on the hill, and it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen and heard. And I remember sitting on the hill. And I, you know, I knew about the tradition of Touch of the Rock, but I'd never seen it. And sure enough, a perfect day for football. North Carolina was a top-ten team, I think, at the time. Clemson was struggling. Um, and, man, it rocked. It was just a great game. And it was a game, quite frankly, Clemson probably should have won because they had the ball down on the one-yard line with inside two minutes ago and couldn't punch it in for a score. And North Carolina won a close game. But I remember coming back home, and uh, Billy and Barb were in the uh, kitchen. And um, I walked in, and the first thing Billy said, he goes, well, how did you like Clemson? And I looked at him, I said, well, you're going to think I'm crazy, but that's where I'm going to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and he he about fell off the chair. He said, what? I said, no, it was awesome. I said, the noise, the crowd, the people, the campus was beautiful, the lake, the weather. I mean, I said, I just, I couldn't believe how nice it was there. I said, the people were just tremendous, the tailgating. And Billy looked like I was speaking Chinese. And so, um, so I put Clemson on the list, and I wrote a note to the golf coach at the time. was a guy by the name of Bobby Robinson, who eventually went on to become the athletic director. Correct. And uh, he was repla- replaced by Larry Penley, who ended up being my roommate, uh, and we are still best of buds. And um, so it came down, believe it or not, to Clemson and Georgia for me, and not, not from a scholarship standpoint. I was, you know, I was a good player, but I wasn't a scholarship guy. And I went to Georgia for a visit and loved Athens, and that was a hard call. I mean, at the end of the day, I just said, you know, at the end of the day, I just feel a little more comfortable in Clemson. It's the kind of place you didn't have to lock your car. You know, you, could, you, know, you knew everybody and all that stuff. So it just kind of felt like it was the right fit for me. And I look back at that all the time and say, you know, and if I had gone to Georgia, I would have loved it or anywhere else. But those are the two schools for me. And I look back at that all the time. I still have friends for life uh, from 40 years ago, and God bless it. It's just been an incredible experience. And ironically, I've got uh, two daughters, both of them. One's a graduate, uh, Gigi, who's now down in Atlanta, and Emerson is a, uh, currently a junior, uh, now doing, of course, all online classes. But uh, they have had just a great experience there, too. So that, that kind of puts a smile on my face, knowing that not only did I love it 40 years ago, but I would have never thought in a million years I would ever have uh, kids – that uh, would end up going to Clemson as well. But it's really been just a great, great experience. Mark, I'll tell you what, we don't have much time until the break, so um, I'm going to put you on hold. We'll jump back into the conversation with Mark Packer. we got a lot to get to with him today. Of course, Tim Beret coming up in just a little bit on the program and can't wait to get some of his thoughts on some of the many topics we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, as it has been. Yeah, very strange circumstances for us all, but nonetheless, uh, we're getting through this, and uh, it's it's guys like Mark Packer and uh, others out there in the industry that are keeping the conversations moving and changing the game up just a little bit. Here's how you can participate today, though. 803-450-0086. That's the text line. Never while you're driving. You can text the program, though. 
803-450-0086. And, of course, our website is ClemsonSportsTalk.com. ClemsonRadio.com will get you there as well. You can come hang out, join fellow Tigers, and we'd love to have you as a premium subscriber. Just $63.17 to join us for an entire year. You can step in for just a buck, but, you know, we're a small business. We're trying to support small businesses, and we hope that you will consider supporting us during these unique times as well. Again, Mark Packer back at it with us here in hour number two. We'll learn a little bit more about his career at Clemson, his playing days on the golf team, and uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that with one of the best in the college radio business, Mark Packer. You guys remember him oh, oh so well, and it's been a lot of fun through the years catching up with him. He's been very influential, in all honesty, on my career. One of the first guys to really reach out and support me and help me grow when I was doing my show from home just a couple of years ago. Kind of a uh, return to my roots, so to speak. We hit a quick break here on the show that shakes the Southland. You're listening to Clemson Sports Talk on the Clemson Sports Talk Radio Network. Back at it, it is the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan, Mark Packer, still on the line with us. And and Mark, let's look back at uh, the conversations we were having there about your time at Clemson with Coach Larry Penley. Where did you guys live? And ultimately, what are some of those great memories that you can give Clemson Tiger fans about a gem uh, of a golf coach in Tiger Town? Well, it was an important time in my life because um, uh, Larry took over uh, from Bobby Robinson. Larry came back to get his degree. He'd been on the mini tour for a while. And Bobby Robinson was making the transition at the time in the early 80s from golf coach to the athletic director. And so Larry came back, and I, I didn't know him at all. He was older than me, um, and I was a junior. And we just hit it off. I mean, the first time I ever met him, I remember us laughing, cutting up. And uh, long story made short, um, I was also at the time, as much as I loved playing golf, I was also getting involved with Jefferson Pilot and Raycom and doing some stage managing and stuff in the television thing, which I loved doing as well, and I was intrigued by it. And so I got really the perfect case scenario. Larry looked at me and said, Pack, he goes, why don't you be my roommate? And I said, well, you're the golf coach. And then he goes, yeah, I know, I know. And he goes, but you're getting ready to get in all this TV stuff, and you know, you're not sure if you're going to play golf, but you know, I'll give you a chance to still do golf stuff, and then you can go still do the TV thing. So it was really – the perfect case scenario for me with what he presented. So we became roommates. Uh, we lived out on this Aquina Trail. Uh, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Uh, 152 is the Queen of Trail. I still remember it. In fact, every time 
I've got some free time in Clemson. I will drive down this Sequina Trail and drive right by that apartment complex and just laugh knowing all the crazy stories that we could tell about each other, but we're sworn to secrecy. So um, <laughs> we, became, we became best buds. And obviously Larry's gone on to be an incredible coach, a Hall of Famer, 75 wins. And uh, not only was he a terrific player, but his family and uh, just the way he treats people, I, I cannot be prouder of a, any coach that uh, has ever called Clemson home than I am with my man Larry Penley. He's just uh, salt of the earth, one of the really, really great people, loves the school, has done an incredible job, and uh, incredibly happy and proud for him and for the school. So so what year did you arrive on campus here at Clemson? Uh, freshman year was 81, and that was a national championship year. And I used to tell my buddies, I don't know what the big deal was, man. We're supposed to win this thing every year, right? <laughs> and um, so 81, the fall of 81 uh, was when I arrived. And I graduated on time with a degree in economics. And um, I'm really happy and kind of cool to see what this new business school is going to look like on top of the hill, even though that whole hill without the Clemson house on the top and right. everything else, it has changed so much since it was uh, – 1980s when I was back in school. But, again, that's all part of progress. That's part of the gig. But, um, yeah, I graduated in 85. I went from uh, Clemson, South Carolina, to New York City to work for a a sports uh, production company called TEN Sports, which is no longer there. Uh, But, man, you're talking about a a transfer from Clemson, South Carolina, to New York City. That was one of the all-time culture shocks. But, uh, again, another one of those experiences that you'd never get back. Mark Packer breaking it down with us here on Clemson Sports Talk. And, and Mark, so that's the, the final little bit of this puzzle for me that I want to fill in for everybody with you. So now you're moving into the broadcasting career. I'd seen some photos of you and Tim Beret, who's a guest on this program every Thursday from <laughs> way back when. So as you kind of maneuver through this, how do you end up where people, I, I guess, I assume most people know you from, uh, primetime with the Pac-Man. But So what's the progression through that? in the, I guess, early, oh, mid-90s uh, from where you were then? Well, I bounced around. I, I you know, the, the Clemson broadcaster, that picture you're talking about, Tim Bray sent that thing to me a couple of weeks ago, and I said, I'm putting this thing on Twitter, and uh, it was a picture of the two of us uh, sitting outside down the third baseline up in the New Haven, or New Britain, Connecticut, at the Beehive Field, and Clemson baseball had gotten into the postseason and, and we were in charge of the Clemson Radio and Television Network at the time, the Danny Ford shows, the Clopella shows, all that stuff, uh, and the radio network. And uh, Clemson baseball gets to the postseason, and Bobby Robinson said, Pat, can you put together a radio network for baseball postseason? I said, sure. And so I put the whole thing together, but the thing I had forgotten to do was to get announcers. I put together the syndication, I put together the sponsorships. We had everything worked out, except we had no idea who was going to do the games. And at the time, I was living with Tim Bray. And I said, hey, Bone, which is his nickname. I said, hey, how about you not doing these games? And he was all for it. So we ended up doing the games. And that picture that you saw, for folks that saw it, uh, is us sitting outside uh, the, the broadcast booth. And people had asked me, why were you not in the broadcast booth? So the reason for it is uh, at, at this place, Beehive Field up in New Britain, the, the broadcast booth was on a, like a mobile home on stilts down the third base. And I walked into it and the thing was swaying and shaking. I said, I'll be damn, I'm not sitting here in this thing. So we set up the broadcast outside of the booth down the third base line so fans could actually sit around us. It was kind of like we were doing the Harry Carey thing before Harry Carey. And um, so we ended up doing a game. Ironically, that's the game that Clemson played for them. It went 19 innings. It was the longest game known to man. 
an NCAA tournament play to, I guess, a couple of years ago. And uh, so sure enough, that picture was kind of funny that we did that. But your question about how do they go from the Clemson Broadcast Group late 80s, I bounced around doing all kinds of things. Um, the Clemson Broadcast Group late 80s, I bounced around doing all kinds of things. Um, Clemson ended up moving their, their radio rights uh, back to their flagship station, so we were out. So I ended up going to Jefferson Pilot, uh, and I did that for about a year, working on Olympic deals, which I didn't love. Didn't love, didn't love the move to Charlotte. Um, didn't love what I was doing. Um, just didn't know what I was going to do. And I, so I bounced around. I, I did. I worked at a construction company. After that, didn't like that at all. That wasn't me. I ended up getting a job down at the Blockbuster Bowl doing corporate sales. I did that for a year. I didn't love that either, even though I made tons of friends and everything else. And so I ended up coming back to Charlotte and starting a sports marketing company and um, did that for two or three years. And I got a phone call one day from a guy who I ironically had worked with at the Blockbuster Bowl six or seven years prior to that who was talking about being a consultant for a new sports talk radio station in Charlotte and wanted to know if I wanted to meet up with the new GM who they were bringing in from WEEI in Boston. I said, sure. So I ended up meeting with this guy for about three minutes. It was one of the worst business meetings I've ever had. And all he wanted me to do was come back that same day and go on the radio and do a show for an hour with the guy that was the current host in the afternoon, a guy by the name of Matt Pinto, who eventually left to become the voice of the Dallas Mavericks. Okay. And I had no, I just, I just gotten married and we had a kid. Gigi was six months old. And so I had no idea what I was doing. And so I went back that same afternoon, went on the air for an hour. Uh, it felt like I was on for two minutes, uh, left. Uh, didn't hear any feedback from anybody. It was totally PO'd because I'd gone to twice, <laughs> twice in one day for two separate reasons for absolutely, I've gotten nowhere fast. And then later on that same night, they uh, ended up giving me a phone call and offered me a job. And I said, to do what? And they said, to go on the air. I said, I have no interest in going on the air. And I hung up on them. And my wife looked at me and said, are you out of your mind? I said, why? She goes, well, you're here struggling with your sports marketing company. Yeah. They give and you an the opportunity. National Guard. It is Clemson Sports Talk. Mark Packer still on the line with us. We'll get to him momentarily. But I, I, I do want to say we appreciate everybody hanging out with us here the past couple of days as we've tried to lock up all these fantastic interviews. And we got more of them coming around the bend for you over the next few weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Here's how you can participate, though. 803-450-0086. That's the text line. 803-450-0086. And, Mark, we were talking about the beginning of your career your mind is why she goes well you're here struggling with your sports marketing company yeah. they give you an opportunity to go on the radio something you seem to you seem, you seem to like it you said it went by in two seconds why why would you say no and i knew she was right but i wasn't going to give her the satisfaction so i just helped and puffed for three or four days and sure enough they called me back later that week and offered me the same job i took it uh and it turned out to be the rest of the story and here we are 23 24 years later and uh, that gig turned into primetime with the Pac-Man at the same station, which I stayed there for 13 years, and now I've left uh, to be on SiriusXM for the last 10. And now that thing has spun off to not only SiriusXM, but this new ACC network for television. So when people say, how should I get into the radio business, I look at them and say, you don't want to hear my story because I am not the path to take 
because it was the right place at the right time for me. I think that's one of the things that's sort of unique about today. You know, a lot of guys and, and, and girls, for that matter, that want to get into this business can really cut their teeth with the podcast, and it makes their voice readily available to a lot of people. It's been a big change in the industry. I mean, that's where I got going, and the reality is, you know, you can start with a podcast and really get something going. It's easier now, in some respects, to be heard. Um, in the past, like again, back 200 years ago when I started, um, you know, you had to be at the right place at the right time, and, and it's, that still is in play now. But like you said, uh, if you have talent and you have got to be committed to work at, it, I, you know, the one thing I will say today, and I've done this now long enough, that if I turn on the radio or turn on the podcast, I can tell you within five minutes whether that person, he or she, has done their work. I, I can, it's, it's like a neon sign to my ears um, that you can just tell people who have done their homework, that are prepared, uh, that have a plan, uh, that are willing to listen, uh, that are willing to go out of the box sometimes, or maybe in an uncomfortable zone. You, you can just feel it. You can also tell people who mail it in. Uh, I've seen people, high-profile people today, if you turn on the television, you can just tell people who mail it in. And it, it's it's kind of disgusts me that you don't take more a professional pride in what you do. Uh, some people get lazy. Some people, you know, don't, just get disinterested, whatever the case may be. But the one thing I do love about my job is that every day I get out of bed, I can't wait to create something new. Now, you may disagree with my stance. You may agree a 1,000%, whatever the case may be. And not every show is a great one. Not every show is a great one. Um, but at the end of the day, I can't wait to get to work. And, you know, when I speak to college students or whatever the case may be, it's the one thing I always tell young people, man, find what you love to do. The money will follow you. Don't worry about the money. I know that sounds almost counter to everything you're ever built on sometimes, but if you're good at what you do, the money will find you. The hardest thing to do in life is to find something you truly love to do where it is not work. For me, Work is mowing the yard, cleaning the gutters, edging. I hate that, but I still do it. It's on the honeydew list. (laughs) To me, that is work. Uh, But, you know, talking to sports on the radio or on television or having fun with people and all that, to me, that isn't work. That is something I just can't wait to do every single day. So it doesn't matter how old you are either. I mean, it doesn't need to be that, hey, I'm in junior high school and don't know what I want to do. That's okay. But eventually find something that you just love and then go after it as hard as you want uh, but as far as the the, the communication world uh, there's no doubt the podcast has allowed so many people to be heard that normally would have never had that opportunity uh, prior to that being invented now the key is that when you do get the call and the right person has heard what you do you got to be hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Prepared. You got to be good. You can't fake it. And um, you know, I think that unfortunately happens in way too many uh, occupations in this day and age. People just kind of go through the motions. And if you do that, there'll be a ceiling on what you can accomplish. But uh, if you love, love, love what you do, man, the sky is the limit, and go get, go after it, man, go get it. And that's why, like even now during the pandemic, for all of us in sports, 
I think this is kind of a great time to find out who really has talent because now you really have to create something that is interesting to listen to because, hey, I can't tell you about the Clemson baseball game last night or what's going on in recruiting or, hey, can you believe what happened in the fill-in-the-blank game? That doesn't right. exist right now. So now you'll find out which host really having a means to give you an opportunity to listen to something and stay in tune and stay interested. So, again, you kind of find the positives, even in negative situations, kind of like what we're going through right now. Mark, always good to catch up with you, man. Thank you so much for your time. And, boy, an extended interview too, buddy. Always always good to hear from Mark Packer here on the show that shakes the Southland. 803-450-0086. 803-450-0086. It is Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan hanging out with you on a Thursday afternoon. Tim Bray coming up, as I mentioned, in hour number two. And, uh, you know, Mark, a lot of people may not know this, and and I alluded to it a little bit ago, but uh, the reality is when I got started, there were guys in this business, and I I don't mean this in a, a way to say that there are only a few people that you kind of craft yourself after, and I don't even really think that I, I've... I've tried to in this industry to to mold myself after Mark Packer in any way, but he was one of the influential people in this business for me because I didn't know a lot of guys doing this, and I was doing a podcast, and when things started looking like we were going to get an opportunity on the radio, and, and that sense expanded, which we're so grateful for and so thankful for all the markets we've been in and continue to be in, he was one of the guys who, one, I was able to connect with and was willing to listen and give me some guidance. And, and you know, that's something that I think I'll, I'll obviously forever be grateful for, but I also want to pay forward for those up-and-coming individuals that have, have done this because it's the Mark Packers of the world, the... Dan Patrick's of the world, the Jim Rome's, Colin Cowherd, those guys who I've listened to and tried to, I've told you in the past, tried to watch, really. When the, those shows came to TV is when I think I really grew in this. But, you know, Pac-Man was a guy that reached out and and would would help me when I'm doing my show from home. Ironically, from right where I'm sitting now doing the show from home. 803-450-0086. Our poll question is up over on Facebook. We'll get you back to that here when we return. Stay with us. It is Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan, Tim Bray right around the bend. Didn't know until the interview with Mark Packer, his uh, former roommate, uh, those two guys. So uh, we'll obviously get into some of those conversations with Tim Bray here uh, in just a little bit. But thank you for uh, being a part of the program. If you're a new listener, if you are an old listener, uh, we appreciate you, obviously, and I was looking. I'm trying to get the camera set up there. I don't know what's up with that. But uh, I was looking in the – we had a poll question up a little bit earlier, and one of the things that was uh, brought to my attention 
uh, was the fact that we had several of you that had never been to the website. So head over there, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, and uh, be a part of our growing community. We've been around for, well, the show's been around about 15 years, if you can believe that, but uh, at least some semblance of a podcast. We have been 16, holy moly. But we have been also running a, a full website with full coverage of your Tigers for three years. So if you haven't been, uh, go ahead and, and head over there and, and be a part of things. And again, uh, thank you to uh, Mark Packer for a fantastic interview. So much I learned there uh, about Mark that I, I did not know previously. Think about a, a young man who grew up, you know, he calls his dad Billy and his mom Barb, and some people are probably like, what in the world? But that's kind of been his thing for a long time, especially with his dad more so than his mom, as I'm aware, because when when he was growing up, his dad was so influential in college basketball circles that everybody would come up to him, hey, Billy, hey, Billy, hey, Billy. And uh, as Marcus told me through the years, through our previous conversations, he just sort of adopted that from the, the, the people that would talk to him. And it just kind of grew from there. But uh, to hear some of those stories, and you know, he's a former Clemson golfer. To have two daughters go to Clemson, I mean, all of those ties. And I, I think one thing too, he takes a little heat. Like if you find the if you find the right message board, if you find the right group, they'll say, "Oh, Mark Packer's a homer for the Clemson Tigers." This, that, and the other. But uh, I really believe he does a jam up job on staying neutral. So much so that prior to the advent of the internet being as easy to navigate or even as accessible as it is today, I would venture to say that when Mark was doing primetime with the Pac-Man, I don't even think I knew he went to Clemson. I don't even think I I had an ounce of an indication outside of if he brought it up that that's where he had gone to school because there was no favoritism in that show. And yeah, that show more than what he's doing now centered on not just college sports, but also the professional aspect of of sports as well with the Carolina Panthers and being on in Charlotte. So you you obviously could not avoid that if you're Mark Packer. But from the standpoint of you know, feeling like, oh yeah, he's definitely a, a Clemson homer or, or whatever people want to call him. No, no, not not in the least. Not at all. So Mark Packer Clemson Sports Talk, so much fun to get an opportunity to chat it up with him and look forward to getting him back on uh, real soon as, as he's doing a, a really good job during tough times as well. But, that, you know, this show might be a little more interview-centric than it's ever been now because for so many years you were a huge part of the show, listener, and you can still be by texting us. We just haven't figured out a way to do the phone lines from home, and that and that's okay. You know, we'll we'll survive this. Um, and Mark talked about the that there would be people in this industry that would get lost in the downtime and 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 not having things to get into. But I really don't see that being the case here on this show. Whether we're talking about a scenario where we don't have college football in twenty twenty. To maybe we do, and we're fortunate enough to get to talk about games. But if we don't, I'm just going to keep lining up interviews, knocking down conversational topics with you. The poll question is up today. Who's your favorite current Tiger on offense? You can weigh in over on our Facebook page and, and let us know who who you 
are most interested in, I guess, per se, this season? Uh, is it Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, Mari Rogers? Maybe you got another. I didn't put other in there. I just gave you four to choose from. I, I don't mean to offend any offensive linemen and their par- their parents. Sorry. But just on the offensive side of the ball, uh, went with a couple of the, the spark plugs, so to speak, the, the playmakers. And which one of those guys on offense is currently uh, your favorite? Now, yesterday on the program, we talked a brief moment about the Cleveland Browns in their new uniforms. Well, it didn't take long to hear that Odell Beckham Jr. wants out of Cleveland, and I assume that has nothing to do with the uniforms. But Colin Cowherd said that he said, you know, the source who gave him the Tom Brady story, he said he got texted by that guy and that uh, Odell Beckham Jr. wants out in Cleveland. They said he's been a good soldier uh, and he's not going to, Make it make it a big deal. He said he'll deny it uh, to get along with people, but that Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, wants to get out of there, and he knows that Minnesota seems to be a good place, that it would be a good fit, and uh, that's sort of where things were left on the front of Colin Cowherd and Odell Beckham Jr., which, again, we start getting into – what I would label Odell Beckham Jr. is a, a prima donna type athlete. If he's in a city and in a town where he doesn't want to be, he's going to potentially do everything he can to get out of there. Now, if you listen to Cowherd, it sounds like he's going to play a good guy on this front. But I don't think anybody at this point would be shocked if Odell Beckham Jr. gets out of Cleveland, gets out of Dodge, so to speak. Hard to think of anybody that's ever really had a great run in Cleveland, honestly, especially on the gridiron in recent memory in my lifetime. Not much to not much to speak of outside of a couple of runs to the AFC Championship when they had Michael Dean Perry back in the day. But outside of that, squadoosh for uh, the dog pound and the and the uh, Cleveland Browns. 803-450-0086. Again, our poll question is up. Uh, who is your favorite current Clemson Tiger on the offensive Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Side of the ball. Hour number two. Tim Beret, Clemson legendary SID, joins the program. We'll talk to him about his time with Mark Packer and much more here on the show that shakes the Southland. You're locked in to Clemson Sports Talk. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee.
is our number two. That's drive time right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan. Hanging out with you here, just waiting on Tim Beret to join us for a few minutes to talk about uh, his time in Tigertown, how he uh, made his way to Clemson, some of those stories that you may not know. I, the fact that he was a roommate with Mark Packer came up in the program earlier today. So uh, we'll talk with we'll, we'll talk with Tim about that and a whole lot more here on the program once we get locked in with him in just a few minutes. So if you want to be a part of the program, you can text us, 803-450-0086. Again, who's your favorite current Tiger on offense, that is your question over on Facebook. Is it Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, or Amari Rogers? You can weigh in on that poll. We also ask a question about whether or not you've been to ClemsonSportsTalk.com or not. If you haven't, of course, uh, you can. You can absolutely head over there and check it out. Uh, don't don't be afraid. We'll see if we can't get up with Tim Beret here. Uh, on the program, nonetheless, I'll give him a quick buzz and see if we can't lock in uh, with the man, the myth, and the legend himself, Tim Beret. Uh, Going to be joining Clemson Sports Talk here momentarily, but you know it's always fun when we catch up with people in this industry and with Tim coming on the line. Uh, you know, another great name in the business and a guy that's been around. But Tim, earlier. I had and didn't know, I don't think until today, your former roommate on the program, Mark Packer. I had no idea you guys roomed together. <laughs> we had a great house in Central um, South Carolina. It was me and Mark and Dave Littlefield. Dave Littlefield, who was assistant baseball coach at the time, he went on to become the general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So we had... Uh, that's a pr- quite a uh, sports yeah. group in that house. I had a satellite dish, which was one of the main attractions for them to come live with me. <laughs> okay. And in those days, you could get the backhaul feed of a number of things. You could watch guys rehearse uh, before they did a broadcast. Uh, Mark's father, Billy, actually used to do a little 15-minute show for everybody who was on the satellite uh before one of those uh, college basketball games he'd do. So we had great fun. I, well, I, I think about that. I mean, I don't know that my college roommates didn't turn out doing anything great, but sort of a small number of people there at college or at least living with you while you're at Clemson working initially that uh, turned out to do some pretty amazing things. That is that is wild. Did, did you know or did you foresee that Mark would ever kind of become what he's become? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, Mark, of course, started out uh, right away. I mean, he was, uh, when he was living with me, he was uh, running our radio network. Uh, Billy's had a company that did radio networks, and from 1986 to 90, I think it was, he uh, it was called the Clemson Broadcast Group. And, uh, you know, he was in charge of all the advertising, all the sales, everything uh, uh, that JMI does uh, does today. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't until kind of the middle of Mark's career that he got into the uh, the broadcasting gig, but he was a behind-the-scenes person, uh, you know, when he started out. 
Tim Bure joining us here on Clemson Sports Talk. And he told a story about that when y'all had a, a tournament. I can't remember the name of the city, but he had sold everything. And you guys had to go up there. I feel like it was in Massachusetts or Connecticut one. And you guys had to go up there. And uh, essentially, he realized, uh-oh, I didn't get anybody to call the games. And you guys ended up being on the call? <laughs> He said you were all in well, now, Tim. I'll tell you. He said, oh, Tim was all about Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it was great. Plus, it's, plus, it was in Connecticut, my home state. In fact, the games were in New Britain, Connecticut at Beehive Stadium, which still uh, exists today. Um, it's a minor league ballpark. I'm not sure what uh, who's they're affiliated with uh, uh, today. But um, it was a uh, stadium that didn't do a good job in the offseason of – uh, protecting their tarp, so they actually NCAA awarded the, uh, this uh, stadium in Connecticut. They wanted to try to spread the NCAA tournament around. This is 1988, and uh, they awarded it to them without doing a lot of research. And what happened was, over the course of the winter, was the harsh winters of Connecticut, the uh, rats ate holes in the tarp, so this stadium had no tarp. For the uh, for the NCAA tournament, so if it rained, you were just done for the day, and that's actually what happened the first day of the tournament. So the first game we played was actually the second day. We played Fordham in a game that went 19 innings, almost five hours. That Mark and I were on the uh, <laughs> broadcast. The wind was blowing in at an incredible rate, and the Clemson won the game, I think, three to two, uh, and it was the longest game in the history of the NCAA tournament. Until 2009, when Boston and College in Texas played a 25-inning game, which is still the longest game in the history of baseball, college baseball, whether it be uh, in the tournament or a regular season. Tim Bure with us here on the program. And before we talk a little bit more about your, your you know, growing up in sports and, and your stories, which is kind of where we've shifted the narrative here in the past few weeks. I know last week you and I had talked about some of the maybe heartbreaks in Clemson basketball history. And we talked about the Meadowlands in that UConn Clemson game. Well, I had Cliff Ellis on and he said that you might know this uh, answer. And, and did Clemson lead the country in, in uh, free throws percentage, I believe is what he said, free throw percentage at one point early on in the era of the three pointers or, or maybe made the most three pointers in the year. He said you, you would know that he thought that was the case. No, we we the first year of the three point goal, um, you know, Cliff was a big fan of it. A lot of coaches were afraid of it. I mean, you can look up the stats, but I want to say Virginia made forty eight three pointers the whole year. Um, but but uh, Cliff was uh, you know into it, and so uh, we actually shot. Um, I want to say forty four point seven percent on threes that year and that is still to this day the ACC record for uh three point percentage in a uh, in a season and okay uh, that may be what it is that may be the stat yeah, that's what about. it was it wasn't free throw it wasn't free throw percentage that 1990 team was not a good free throw shooting did team, I say probably free about <laughs> sorry I bet three throw oh yeah, yeah I bet three, no, three point three point <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, we had a lot of different guys who could make the three and and uh you know, Cliff did a good job. We had the Twin Towers down low with Davis and Campbell, and then we had some guys who could shoot the three, you know, from the outside. We had Grayson Marshall, who ran the show, a decent three-point shooter, but uh, but the other guys were uh, – Michael Tate, in particular, 
in uh, in uh, in eighty six, eighty seven, um, maybe over fifty percent on on his threes. Yeah, I would never ask a Clemson free throw proficiency question on purpose, Tim. I can assure you. <laughs> I can assure you, Tim Murray with us on Clemson Sports. So, okay, Tim. So we we've sort of tried to shift some of the narrative and and talk as little as we can about the impact of coronavirus right now in sports and focus really on you know people and their stories and how they got into it. And I know a lot of your career started uh, with you and your father, but when's the first time you really remember sports impacting Tim Beret's life in any way? Uh, Well, um, the first, uh, I guess when I was eight years old, I started really following uh, Notre Dame football because they were having a terrific year. This was 1964. And of course my father had uh, gone to Notre Dame and was a big Notre Dame football fan. And 1964, I was kind of old enough to know what was going on sports wise. And Notre Dame was having this great season. And, um, and there's air park season's first year. And, uh, they went nine and zero to start when they're ranked number one in the country. And Southern Uh-oh. And I remember Tim, you may have hit a bad spot. There you go. Say that was. again. You, you hit a little bad spot after you said they started 9-0. Oh, yeah, they started 9-0 and uh, then went to Southern Cal and lost the last game of the season to prevent winning the national championship. And I was uh, just totally heartbroken. And uh, But I was kind of hooked on uh, in, uh, being a fan. And I you know, used to sit at the kitchen table with my father and listen to the games on the radio. And he taught me how to keep uh, – keep stats and kind of a running chart of all the stats on the, uh, on the game. And, uh, you know, it just kind of took off, uh, took off from there. And in 1967, he took me to the first Notre Dame football game. Uh, they played in, uh, Navy in Philadelphia. And, uh, so I remember that, uh, vividly today. And then he took me to a game in Yankee stadium against army. And so, uh, kind of hooked after that. You, know, you and I talked about how Notre Dame has always sort of been that national brand. And hearing you say you watched them play in Philadelphia, you watched them play in, in Yankee Stadium, uh, that was obviously outside of uh, their home stadium there in South Bend. But um, what are those crowds like for games like that in the 60s? I mean, are we, are we talking sold-out venues and people just rolling in from everywhere? Yeah, I, oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when they played in when Notre Dame played Army, it was a yeah. you know real complete sellout crowd, and of course, there was a real resurgence in the program under uh, under Arrow Parsegian. And you know, of course, we you know, we think back, uh, you know, then everything when you're younger, things seems the 1940s seems so old because it was before you were born, but. You know, in 1968, you were just, you know, 15, 20 years removed from when the Army-Notre Dame game was the biggest thing that took place every year in uh, in New York. Like they used to have, they'd have parades for the two teams when they when they uh, played the game in uh, in Yankee Stadium the afternoon, the Friday afternoon before the game. That's how big a deal it was. 
Now, Tim, at that time, if you look back at old photos, a lot of times you'll see gentlemen were, you know, three-piece suits at Clemson games. I mean, everybody was dressed to the nines for these sporting events. In in sixty, the late sixties, is that still the case, or had people started to relax their attire uh, going to these ball games? No, you're right. In the in the sixties, it was. Uh... You know, that was, you know, people, they wore white shirts and dark ties. And, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of pictures uh, from Clemson games and from Notre Dame games. I think it was even more of a thing in the South to uh, to dress up. And I, I think even, you know, when I started in the uh, 70s at, at, at Clemson, um, I remember my student assistants um you know when they'd come to a, to come to games, they would be they'd be dressed up and look nice, and the and the you know kids in the stands did did too. Now I don't know what uh, what to change that, uh, but there was you know it got to be a little bit more relaxed once we got into the uh, to the eighties, and I and I guess you if you call up some old pictures on the internet, you can certainly tell by you know what the people are dressed as in the in the background. But the, yeah, the sixties, it was almost everybody looks the same. Everybody had. You know, uh, and of course the season started later, so you might think, "Wow, in the South, how could they, you know, get dressed up in a jacket and tie?" Yeah. But you know, in the in early in my freshman year of college, we didn't start the season until like September 23rd, and you only played 10 games. Tim Beret with us here on Clemson Sports Talk, and I I can say this for the younger audience. You know, I, I arrived at Clemson in 1995, Tim, and there was no initiative for everybody to wear orange to sporting events. Heck, most of the shirts that people were wearing were white. I mean, if you go back and grab a, a picture of a Clemson stadium just 20 years ago, it, it wasn't nearly the sea of orange it is today. That's a That's been a, a pretty significant change for me. Now, as far as you go, you, you end up at, at Notre Dame. When was the first time you saw a, a game there in their home stadium, and, and what was that like for you growing up as a lifelong fan? I did just to, to go back what you just said, Terry Don Phillips really started the uh, the uh, Let's All Wear Orange uh, initiative. That was a great marketing thing on his uh, part. He he started in the uh, fall of two thousand two, so he should kind of get credit uh, you know credit for uh, for that. Um, the first time I actually went to a game at Notre Dame was 1972. It was a game against Purdue. And uh, that was my senior year of high school. And uh, and then, of course, I came as a freshman in, in 1973 and ended up saw some great games there over my career. I remember my senior year, uh, Bear Bryant in Alabama came to Notre Dame for the, for the first time. And that was that was a real big deal. And so at that time, you're working uh, with the athletic department at, at Notre Dame as an assistant. Is that right? I knew you had a mentor there. I think you've told me about him before. Yeah, I worked, yeah, I worked in the sports information office starting as a junior in 1975. I worked under Roger Valdeseri, who basically was That's the right. Bob Bradley of, of Notre Dame. Uh, and God bless him, he's still alive. He's turning 94 on May the 5th. So uh, uh, he's, he's still doing well. And so you're getting your tutelage there. At what point along the way do do you get guided to look at Clemson? And Tim, what was your initial reaction to going from South Bend, Indiana, uh, to with the first time you saw Clemson's campus per se? Well, I was real lucky. Um, 
I uh, I got a free trip to Clemson in 1977. I stayed for grad school, and so I went down with the Notre Dame football team. I got to travel on that uh, trip and got to see Clemson uh, firsthand. And uh, and I'll remember. And of course, now this was Clem. This was Notre Dame's first ever trip to Clemson. Notre Dame was ranked fifth in the country with Joe Montana and. Many other stars of the time, guys who were now in the College Football Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, it was a terrific game, but Clemson was just so crazy for this uh, this game. I remember uh, being on the team bus and uh, turning into, you know, in those days you turned right next to the locker room and you could see through the alleyway the hill. And uh, the game was at 1 o'clock, and uh, the hill was absolutely packed at 11 o'clock. And so uh, I was sitting next to Roger Valdeseri, my boss, and he leaned over to me. He says, what are we doing here? Like, boy, we are here for an ambush. <laughs> We're going to ruin our season here. And uh, it was a great game. Uh, Notre Dame ended up coming back to win uh, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win 21 to to 17, but I could see uh, how crazy Clemson people were for uh, for the football program, and I loved ACC basketball. I followed ACC basketball. In fact, when I was a student in Notre Dame, I really knew more about Tree Rollins than I knew about Steve Fuller, um, and wow. so uh, that was very attractive to me uh, also, and then little did I know that uh, 10 months later, there was a job open at uh, Clemson when Al Adams left to uh, start the orange and white publication and um i applied for the job and got it and started at clemson on september 1st 1978 tim beret with us on clemson sports talk this afternoon talking about his time and um at notre dame and then ultimately at clemson and when you came to clemson uh with notre dame traveling in in 77 there was no upper deck on the what on the I guess that's the south side of the stadium. Is that right? No upper deck then? Just the one upper deck? Yeah, there were no upper decks. Yeah, either either side. There were no upper decks wow. either side. The the uh, the upper deck on the south side, which is the press box side, uh, was open at the end of the 78 season. We were actually constructing it during that season, if you can believe that. We had a different uh, press box set up almost every game um, that uh, that season. And then the uh, upper deck on the other side open for for 1983 so as crazy as you can think how tickets were for that game in 1977 the stadium only held 53,000 uh you know people which would be a horrendous crowd by today's standards and uh and so that uh, I'm sure that must have been one tough ticket Tim Beret, Clemson Sports Talk every Thursday. Tim, uh, do you have some more time? If we put you on hold, we got to hit a quick break, and we'd love to keep on and learn a little bit more about your early days there in Tigertown as well. Yeah, sure. I can. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a thing with the alumni association that, that I got to get in the computer at quarter to six, so I'm good for another segment. Oh yeah, we'll 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 have you out of here by then for sure. Tim Beret. Okay, uh, we're gonna put him on hold. Uh, we'll hit a quick break. We'll come back again. Uh, how about that? The storyline of Tim's arrival at Clemson, uh, just the, the connections between the two universities. Uh, and now we've kind of walked through the upper decks being placed on Death Valley. We'll talk with him now about kind of the emergence in the 80s of your Tigers right after this. Yeah! 
It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan hanging out with you. And Tim Beret has been kind enough to hold with us through the break. And Tim, I, I mentioned as we went out, I wanted to kind of talk about the emergence of Clemson football in the, in the 1980s. And I think the great thing about having you on the program over the next few months is we can get into so many of these different things. But you mentioned that your mentor, Roger Baldessari there at Notre Dame, when you guys came in in 77, kind of looked at you and says, man, what are we, you know, what are we doing here? You see how amped up this crowd is. Clemson at that point has no national titles. Now you're back at Clemson. The stadium's being expanded left and right. Was there a moment before that 1981 season where you sort of thought in the back of your mind, hey, this Clemson group might know what they're doing and might be headed towards a national championship? Or was that still maybe in, in your mind's eye a pipe dream? Well, you know, it's interesting you put it that way uh, because now entering the 1981 season, yeah, it was a it was a pipe dream because we had been just six and five the year before. Didn't get a single point vote in the AP or USA or wasn't USA Today then UPI poll, yeah, right? But but in 1978, you know, Clemson had an 11 and one season, finished tied for sixth in the final AP. Ironically, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They tied with Notre Dame. It's the only time Clemson's been tied in the AP poll with somebody at the end of a at the end of a season. So, you know, he'd gotten to number six and only lost one game that year at Georgia. So, um, so yeah, from that standpoint, yeah, you, you could, you could, you can do it at, at Clemson. Um, and, but, and the other ironic part of that, the story goes that, uh, Charlie Pell told uh, booster club in in Jacksonville after he left Clemson to take the, uh, Florida job, that he said, you know, you can't win the national championship at Clemson, but you can win it at Florida. <laughs> and then two years later, three years later, Clemson wins the uh, wins the national championship. But uh, you know, um, there was a lot of good talent on that Clemson 1981 team that was recruited off of the '77 and '78 seasons. In fact, a number of Clemson stars from the 1981 game made their official visit to Clemson for the 1977 Notre Dame game, including Jeff Davis, Terry Kennard, and Perry Tuttle. Three All-Americans, two went to the, the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, so that that you know, that really that day, although Clemson lost, kind of you know, kind of started things uh, going in the right direction and leading towards that 1981 national championship. Do you recall, just shifting back to that Notre Dame series real quick, the premise behind those two teams hooking up back then? I mean, was this more so about Clemson just hoping to to take on a, a national name and power and, and get more exposure? Well, here's the story how those first those two games uh, took place. Um, way back when Coach Howard was still coaching, 
he was also obviously still the athletic director. So he would go to these conventions and coach Howard was big on playing. He, I mean, he, he knew what he had to do, but there were just some things where his tie, hands were tied in particular, the 800 rule, um, towards him bringing national prominence to the Clemson football program. You look at the schedule of teams that Clemson played in the 60s, non-conference, and, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. Played Southern Cal in 1966, would play Auburn and Alabama. Georgia Tech was a non-conference game then that was uh, regularly in the top 10 in the country. But he always wanted to get a game with Notre Dame. So every year he would go to the convention and he would see Moose Krause, who was the Notre Dame athletic director from 1949 to 1980, uh, and he would badger Moose about getting a game with him. So finally one year uh, they came to the convention and and Moose Krause wrote on a piece of paper two dates, um, one in uh, November uh, in uh, 1977 and one in November in 1979 he said frank if you can make these two dates work we'll play you so coach howard looked at those two dates and knowing of course that was right in the heart of the acc schedule he had some uh, politicking he had to do so he went back and he actually knew the uh, athletic director at maryland very well and he got the maryland athletic director to agree to move uh, the normal dates of the Clemson-Maryland games in 77 and 79 to September. And if you look at the schedule, that's why those ACC games are so early that year was so that they could fit in the Notre Dame games on the uh, on the schedule. But that's really how those two games um, came about. Tim Beret here on Clemson Sports Talk for just a few more minutes. Okay, Tim, so we probably should save the majority of this conversation for a later date, given the fact that I want to get into this 81 season with you, but you had been around uh, very good Notre Dame football programs. Is there, without getting too much, I guess, into the detail of that season, uh, because I'd like to cover it on a, a segment or an episode with you. Was there a sure. point in that season where you thought on a, a segment or an episode with you, was there a sure. point in that season where you thought, ooh, this these these guys look like they might be able to make a make a real run at this? You know, it really wasn't until late in the year when we beat North Carolina in uh, Chapel Hill ten to eight. And uh, one of the great headlines ever, the Greenville News headline in the sports section that next day was Tigers are tenacious. And because we won it with defense, and they spelled, and they wrote out a numbers ten dash eight, um, and and so when we won that game, there was a lot of tension. That game, Sports Illustrated had come in that week. Alexander Wolf to uh, to do a story on uh, on Clemson's uh, football team, and then of course we went and won the game. You know, if we'd lost the game, they probably wouldn't have done a story on us. Um, so that was a very important thing as far as national attention for the. Uh, for the program, and then, and so then we, you know, we were really in a top five situation there, and then kept moving up. Now we were not number one at all uh, in the regular season. It wasn't until after um, the Pitt Penn State game, Pittsburgh was number one with Dan Marino as the quarterback, and then Penn State beat them forty-eight to fourteen to knock them out of the uh, number one, and that's what allowed us to be number one going into the Orange Bowl. 
unbelievable stories. Tim Beret, as always, thank you so much for your time. And uh, that may be what we do, go through some of these great seasons with you down the road and some other uh, times of you growing up and being a sports junkie in general. But uh, thank you again, and we look forward to talking to you next Thursday. Be glad to talk to you. Amazing, as always, Tim Beret here on Clemson Sports Talk, a walk down memory lane, if you will. Uh, with Tim Beret. 803-450-0086. That's the text line, but never while you're driving. Stay with us. Always incredible to catch up with Tim Beret, legendary Clemson SID. All right, so I put a poll question up. Yesterday, uh, I, I brought up the fact that... <laughs> I love this. Archdale in the house. Uh, John, listening to the show. Melvin's in Whaleburg, North Carolina. We're hit, apparently, in the state of North Carolina. Um, Edward says, who's your favorite Clemson quarterback? Uh, he's got a question for us there. I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, I did put up a I, – I told you yesterday I wanted to do one of these quizzes with you that the Clemson Tigers had on their website or whatever, but I guess they've updated since I even asked the question, and I couldn't find the old one. So I, I do have a new one, and I put it up over on Facebook, so you can feel free to take a shot at this if you're watching the program right now. It's perfectly – Perfectly fine with me if you want to take some guesses um, at this. It's a four-minute timer on the, the the question. So I'll give you guys a little time if you want to go ahead and populate some of the, the thoughts uh, on that. I, I can tell you from top to bottom, you're talking about a player uh, at the top whose career return yardage were 2,052. I think that one will be quite easy all the way down to a player whose return yardage was 874 return yards, and those took place from 1974 to 1978 when Tim Bray was arriving at Clemson. Now, there's exactly a 500-yard gap between player one and player two, so a pretty significant jump in the numbers uh, from that standpoint. I'm, I'm not feeling... Uh, I am not feeling overly confident in this list, honestly. Uh, There are 10 names available. I would say if you take the over-under, for me, I'm probably putting that at about six, and I might be leaning towards the under. But I'm still going to give any of you watching the show an opportunity to respond. Don't forget, you can text us as well, 803 450 0086, but you never text while you're driving. You know the rules around here. You know the rules around here. You could text us 803-450-0086 with any thoughts on that. So um, I will. I, what I'll do is, in, in lieu of starting the timer now, uh, I will tell you, I, number one, it's going to be C.J. Spiller and not going to be close. C.J. Spiller by 500 yards. Number two gets a little more interesting. I believe Justin Miller is going to find his way on the list. I think Derek Hamilton is going to potentially find his way on the list. Uh, Tony Horn, I think, is going to be a name that we're going to see on this list when uh, when push comes to shove, when we get a little further into it. I, I think there's a chance that Aries Curry could be there i think there is an off chance that we might even see uh, a hunter renfro or an artavis scott or a 
or a um, a Ray Ray McLeod, perhaps even. So I got some names that I'm going to be trying during the break to to get into and, and hopefully put them in. But if you want to chime in, we're going to leave this question up over on Facebook. Uh, Clemson's career kick return yardage leaders kickoff. I should say kickoff return. So these are strictly kickoff return yards. So uh, we'll take our shot at those coming up in just a little bit. I'll tell you this. It threw, from 83 to 86, there were two must have been stud kickoff returners. I don't know who they are. Okay, no cheating. Don't don't cheat. Um, we want you to give us your honest answer. These are kickoff return, career kickoff return yardage, yardage leaders in, in Clemson history. So I'm going to try to do those through the break. I'll utilize your uh, submissions over on Facebook as well to try to help us out, see if we can knock out 10. Uh, I said before, I think six is where I place the over-under, and I probably go on the under, but the more I think about it, I'm, I'm getting a little more confident, and I still, ha- I still have high concerns that I can't get over seven, though, because seven is going to be the top of the mark because I don't know the, the two in 83 and 86, and I don't know the one in 74 to 78. It's going to be some some high quality guessing on my part if I nail those. So six, it could, this could be a push, folks. I mean, this could go either way during the commercial break. I'm going to knock it out during the four-minute test. Now, Edward was talking about his favorite quarterback. He said his favorite, favorite quarterback of all time is uh, Charlie Whitehurst and Woodrow Dantzler. He says, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, he loves Trevor Lawrence and uh, Deshaun Watson, but uh, his favorite two are are Charlie Whitehurst and and Woody Dantzler. Yeah, I I think for most people, Edward, honestly, uh, prior to Sean Watson arriving, uh, that's probably the case. And at this point, I would say Trevor Lawrence probably has some work to do for some people. Um, not that you could be dismissive of his numbers. But for some people, he may not have surpassed Charlie Whitehurst, who was 4-0 against the Gamecocks and really was sort of Clemson's first real recent, at least prototypical NFL kind of frame out there at quarterbacks. We got some folks weighing in on the text line. We've got some folks weighing in on Facebook as well on this poll question, I guess, or this trivia question. Uh, Clemson's career kick off return yardage leaders I think I might be able to push that number over to seven now I'm feeling more confident after uh, a text that we got a few minutes ago so we hit a quick break I'm going to go through the quiz we'll give you the results on the flip side stay with us yeah except uh, we don't go to the break until 44 (laughs) not 43 Uh, so we're hey that was quick i didn't get them done yet i didn't get a chance to get started so sorry about that it is amazing how the brain works right i mean i'm sitting there this let me tell you what the feeling is on that moment for me have you ever been closing in on a a stoplight that is green but in your brain you know you're so far from that light that 
you start to slow down believing that it's going to be red by the time you get there only to maybe even stop or slow down considerably for a green light that's exactly what I felt like about a minute ago I thought we were out at 43 we're out at 44 stay with us I'll do the poll uh, during the break what have you done for me lately it's a fair question just don't lose sight of the bigger picture don't forget history lucky for us at Clemson the answer to the questions what have you done for me lately and what have you done always are the same we win Well, Clemson Sports Talk, it didn't go well. Uh, the show went great. <laughs> the quiz did not. Um, first, from my confidence boost that came via the text line from HR, who texted, all I could see on my screen was Antoine Wyatt. And I thought, oh, okay, y'all yeah, try that. He said He said he could have been on the list, but he had, quote, issues. When I got to that, I'm like, well, great. That means that's not a name I can trust. On the on the list. Uh, if you took the under, pat yourselves on the back. If you're watching the show, I'll give you some more time to weigh in on a couple of these guys. Uh, again, I got five out of ten, fifty percent on Clemson's career kickoff return yardage leaders, and I'm really mad I couldn't get to six because one of them, once the names popped up, became very obvious, and that's a. That's a pain in the old stilt skin when that happens. And that just makes you feel like a big dummy, honestly. All right, number one on the list, the obvious. These are career kickoff return yards. No punts. Kickoff return yards leaders. 0609 CJ Spiller. Knew that one out of the gate. No problem. 2,052 yards. Number two from 01 to 03, nailed it. Derek Hamilton, noodle, 500 yards difference between he and C.J. Spiller, but still he was a great kick return guy back in the day, 1,552 yards. Number three, no problemo, 2002 to 2004, Justin Miller. Remember, Miller had two kickoff returns for a touchdown on the road at Florida State. I want to say that day he had 202 total kickoff return yards or 222, some ridiculous number there. The one, two, or three were easy. Dude, 1992 to 95, just before I arrived on campus, 1,486 yards. Uh, kind of like uh, the little town in, in North Carolina where John is watching the show, Archdale, or listening in Archdale. If you'd have put the name Andre Humphrey on a board and said point to the Tiger, <laughs> sorry, Andre. I'd have pointed at somebody else. I don't remember Andre Humphrey. 2011 to 2013, this is the one I'm kicking myself for at least not scoring a push for you guys. Uh, I was racking my brain about kick return guys, and for whatever reason, I, I could not come up with Sammy Watkins. 1,376 yards for Sammy Watkins. I probably should have guessed him, probably should have tried it. 
That's a rookie mistake. I, I just I missed that. That's my my B, as the kids say. My B. 83 to 86. I told you there were two of these guys now. One of them was Ray Williams. We actually had Ray Williams on the show not all that long ago. Didn't realize he was a top six guy in terms of Clemson kickoff return history. 1,350 yards for Ray Williams. So I missed four, five, and six. 06 to 09, I'm like, man, that dude was there with CJ. Who was it? That that was easy. I got it after just a minute, Jacoby Ford. And and I got it because I think about the kick return more than anything where CJ Spiller loses his shoe at Maryland and is racing down the side. I believe that was the Maryland game, racing down the sidelines without a shoe on. And there's Jacoby sprinting downfield to block for him. I thought, oh, yeah, that's got to be Ford then. Ford with 1,124 total uh, kickoff return yards during his time at Clemson. Number three from eighty, or excuse me, the other one from eighty-three to eighty-six. Terrence Rulak, eleven hundred and eight yards, and those are all of your one thousand plus yard career kick return yardage people in Clemson history. There's eight guys that have done that ever. Uh, two thousand four to two thousand sixteen. I nailed this one. Artavis Scott, 925 yards. I thought maybe that, you know, we might have seen a uh, Ray Ray McLeod somewhere on the list. Nope. Um, ETN, nope. And ETN hadn't had a ton of touches and, and kickoff returns have kind of gone away. So that's probably a, a big part of this. But uh, last on that list from 74 to 78. A gentleman by the name of Warren Ratchford, who had 848. Warren, you and Andre Humphrey could have been on a wall together. I never would. I said, Warren Humphrey? Is he like vice president? <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, so that's the. I got five out of 10. Take the under. Disappointing effort from the host of the show that shakes the Southland. You got to be better. Now, Tomorrow we'll play, and don't cheat. Don't cheat. We're in the era where kids just look things up on the internet. Don't do that. Don't cheat. Tomorrow on the air, we'll play the individual career all-purpose yardage leaders here. There are 10 on that list. So sharpen up your, uh, sharpen up your mind over the next 22 hours. In five minutes, well, I'll give you a little extra into the show, but these are going to be fun, I think. I'm, I'm enjoying this, and we'll let you play along. We'll post it on Facebook, let you chime in, and uh, be a part of the show in that respect. I, I think that'll be a new little wrinkle that we'll have for you here on the show. Again, thank you, man. Mark Packer, putting in work with us. Tim Bray, two segments today. Uh, it was a busy, fun day. And I'm just glad that you got to be a part of it. Thank you so much uh, for everything that you do for this show. Again, consider subscribing to our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, and continuing to support uh, our show and our business and support those businesses that also support us uh, because they definitely need you at this time. Thank you again to everybody for tuning in, not only in the Midlands, but in the PD and the Low Country, both in Columbia, Florence, and Manning. And we look forward to chatting with you all again tomorrow, right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Until then, as always, I hope you're doing well. Stay safe.
keep your distance from people and wash those hands. As always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers! With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.